beautiful. You are listening to the Africana Woman podcast. I'm your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Alas, all good things must come to an end. This is the last episode of my mini-series of speaking with phenomenal young women. Today, please welcome to the Africana Woman Mike, Wangu Mvula. We talk about education. Like me, Wangu has been educated on three continents, experienced varying educational systems and cultures. And this brings up so many questions, but they do not necessarily have clear-cut answers. Nor may they be resolved now or tomorrow (laughs) it may take some time all the same i would love for you to listen to this episode with an open mind Wangum Vula is currently a junior, double majoring in chemistry and international political economy in the u.s on campus, she is part of the Afro Club and the International Students Organization. She is passionate about gender equality and ensuring that women and men are afforded equal opportunities for their self-actualization. Wangu is particularly interested in intersectional approaches that focus on the different identities that we take up when addressing inequality. A lot of the views she holds have been shaped by the education she has been privileged to receive and she hopes sharing her story and experiences inspires girls and boys to value education and what it brings to our societies. Here is our conversation. Wangu, welcome to the Africana Woman Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and we finally made it happen. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so excited and I'm glad that I I have this opportunity to be on this podcast. I'm good. I'm good. So what's the weather like that side? Where are you exactly? Okay, so I'm in Idaho right now. I'm on campus and um, at this moment I'm in my dorm room. Um, so I feel like the weather right now is, well, not like I feel, but like it's... It's like that period between that, like it's like a transition between spring going into summer. So mm-hmm. it's like we have sunny days, but then we also have like, you know, cold days and it's raining. But yeah, it's mostly sunny lately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going into the winter months and I'm a bit scared. <laughs> it's so cold. Dude, dude. <laughs> it's not easy. No, it's not. Okay, so Wango, tell us, you know, a bit more about yourself in terms of you're Zambian, um, like me. But I want to know, you know, what has been, I guess, your educational journey? Okay, so um, my I attended primary school at um, Mary Queen of Peace Girls School, which is a private school, and then I. I I was there until grade seven, which is seventh grade. And then I moved after my um, grade seven examinations. And then I went to St. Mary's Secondary School. And that, well, yeah, it's a public school. Um, I was there until grade nine. And then from grade 10 up until the end of high school, I was at Ndola Girls National Technical High School. And then I had uh, an amazing opportunity to go to UWC for my um, international baccalaureate for two years. And then I ended up in Idaho and um, yeah, I'm going into my third year now. So that's just like a very brief um, description of my educational journey thus far. That's very, very, I guess, diverse and different, you know, shifting between private schools and then public schools. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, education um, back home. What are your views? 
I just feel like there's so much that needs to change. And I think this is, I feel like this conversation is timely because like I've been taking a class and it's like, um, it's, it's looking at race, but it's also looking at like intersections, like class and, you know, um, gender identity and all those things. And I think it's interesting because we've been having conversations around education. And I think hearing like perspectives from here and like just looking at the educational system here and then based on my experiences and what, you know, I experienced when I was back home in Zambia, I think there's so many things that I feel could be done differently just to enhance people's educational journey. Like for one, I feel like um, people, okay, back home, I just feel like there's this, there isn't really that sense of like really giving people the space or people's the space to be creative and be who they who they really are and just like think outside the box and step outside of their comfort zone and really like think critically it's always like a set of rules and you have to follow them. And that's not to say that those rules aren't beneficial or they're not helpful, but it's just that they can be really restricting sometimes. They don't let you grow and be your own person. It's like, it feels like sometimes it's like, okay, you do this or you do that and this is how things should be done. And then I feel like a lot of the things that we're being taught, you just have to like, based on the educational system and the curriculum that's been built, you're regurgitating stuff. You don't really critically think about these things and understand why they're being taught to you. And I think having that experience in UWC and even in college, um, it just it just changes your worldview and your world perspective and really just like how you assimilate information and knowledge and what you take in. And also I feel like now it becomes even more relevant in this age of like technology and how there's so much like, you know, news and fake news, the age of fake news and stuff. And I feel like critical thinking is a skill that's not particularly instilled in pupils back home. And so, um, yeah, in times like this, it's very hard for people to like really discern and understand, like, you know, to separate like factual information from fake news and, you know, yeah. But just like in a natural, I think there's just certain things, elements that are lacking in our educational system back home. For one, I like for, for me, a really big part would be like critical thinking and just like really giving people the space to be creative and be who they are. Um, yeah. At least when I compare it to my educational experience here and when I was at UWC. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> do you think, so just to play devil's advocate, when you talk to your friends who have continued from um, high school into a Zambian university, do you think that's still lacking? Or is it that the system has been designed in a way that, you know, we have the education that it is that's for primary and secondary. And then when we get to university, that's when they will start introducing the concepts like critical thinking, you know, um, entrepreneurial skills, being um, creative and, you know, thinking outside of the box. Um, at least based on the conversations I've had with some of my friends back home, for me, it seems like compared to like high school and just like primary school and like pre-university, there is a difference, but I wouldn't say it's that big of a difference. And I think it's just, I guess, in a sense, I would say it's relative because if I compare um, schooling back home in terms of like pre-university to university, there I think there is a difference. Like there is some sense of like, okay, you need to start thinking outside outside the box and developing problem solving skills and at least trying to think critically. But then when I look at education here, yeah, it's completely different because I feel like there's still certain aspects of education, at least, yeah, based on the conversations I've had where, you know, it still sounds like people are being taught to regurgitate stuff, memorize stuff and just like, you know, it's really just about the grades. And, you know, you like you just have to get things done a certain way and this is just how things are done. So, you know, people just have to get things done the way that they're told that they should. And they don't really have that chance to like really, you know, think outside the box and think critically. And also, I think just to add in, I think there's this sense of like when it comes to like authority, even in schools. And I think it's a culture thing. And um, I think teachers don't 
really give you that space to challenge the knowledge that they're imparting in you. It's like, I'm the teacher. I have the, I'm the authoritative figure here. So you take the information from me and, you know, you just assimilate it. It doesn't, they don't really give you that space to say like, you know, think about this, deconstruct it. What does it mean to you? How do you, how do we derive meaning from this? It's just like, okay, take it. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm the professor here. So, you know, take the information from me. So I think that's another thing that's at least a challenge in our educational system, I, I believe. You know, if, as much as uh, you're saying that, you know, it'll be great for students to be able to, you know, have critical thinking skills, problem solving skills and all of that, um, and not be regurgitating information. I think if you're in a certain system, that's, yeah. and again, it's the way it's been done. Like people don't necessarily understand why, uh, why you think that that's not the way it should be. So I, I just want you to speak to, you know, what are your concerns around um, students just regurgitating the information or, you know, just trying to get the grades so that someone can actually be, understand where you're coming from? So for me, the biggest thing, at this, yeah, the biggest concern I have about, especially like regurgitating stuff is that it doesn't really give you room to like fully explore stuff that you're curious about. It's like, and also, I think it just, it ties in with even the grades because people are, obviously, grades are like a big part of like our educational system and really just generally education anyway, at least for some people. And, and so like to get good grades, you know that you have to do X, Y, and Z. And part of that involves regurgitating stuff. And I think it just, it stops you from really like exploring things that you're genuinely interested in, things that you're genuinely curious about, because you're always thinking about, oh, my grades, I need to get good grades. And to get good grades is like a specific set of things that you need to do. And, and so that's where the whole regurgitating thing comes in. And also, I just think it's even skills for when you're done with school. If you're always just taking stuff in and you're not thinking about things critically, I think that's where you also find people who, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, when you have these issues of like fake news and there's things going on, people don't really know how to separate like what's just not like, you know, the fake stuff from the stuff that's factual and real. And yeah, like people just, they, they can't differentiate between those. And, and also in a sense, I also feel like it just, yeah, I think that would be like a major concern um, with like regurgitating and just not being uh, given the opportunity to develop critical thinking skills. So, you know, not everybody has the, the privilege of being able to, you know, study in different uh, countries or different schools. And also we, I mean, when, it's, when it comes to our education system, that is something that is, uh, governed by our um, current, you know, our government and all of that. So, in a sense, um, what do you think needs to happen? So, you know, somebody is sitting um, at home and listening to this, whether they're a mother with, um, you know, children um, or whether it's a student themselves. But what can they do in their individual capacity to, um, to gain such skills and broaden their educational point of view? I think, um, okay, so when it comes to like an individual case, there's something that, there's this quote that my mom shared with me once and it just, it, it talks about how you shouldn't only wait to be in the classroom to learn things. You should genuinely be interested in also like being active and proactive about your learning journey. And I think that would probably be like my biggest piece of advice to like students or even just parents, just like really encouraging your children to also like 
explore their interests outside of the classroom and like just explore different areas that spark their curiosity not just depending on you know like teachers and formal education because I think like being able to read a wide variety of books and I think books are like a great way to expose you to like different parts of the world even if you can't be there physically and just like learning from other people's stories and yeah, just like really trying to burden your knowledge outside of the classroom, I think is a great way, um, you know, to fight that system of just regurgitating things and not having, you know, the skills that, um, like critical thinking skills that aren't really imparted um, in our curriculum. And um, I think our system as a whole and I know this is a little bit radical because it would take a lot. I think um, it would need to change as well. Um, so that like, you know, students gradually also have the, at least the, the access to like, um, be able to have these skills eventually. I, I, I genuinely just think that like, somehow the educational system will have to change or be redesigned or restructured or something like that. But I mean, in their individual um, capacity as students, they don't really have um, the means to change that. So I think my biggest piece of advice would just be like, you know, read books outside, um, explore things that you've never done before, engage with people from even if it's not from different parts of the world, from different classes, just expose yourself as much to people who are different from you, even if it's within the country. Um, yeah. I think to sh just to shift the conversation slightly, um, you know, you've been abroad, you've been out of the country for four, how many years? Four years? Yeah, Five? four years. Four. four years, four years. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, again, a lot of people would love that experience to go and study abroad, to, um, you know, experience new countries, new cultures and all of that. But I, I just wanted to hear from you, what was your experience, you know, going to study abroad? Because what thing to visit you know like oh let's go for a holiday but you know when you just landed um at the uwc school um and you could also just share which country you're in in particular you know what was that experience like um and just tell us a little okay sure um so i attended uwc in the netherlands um and I think for me going there initially before, I was like really excited. I couldn't wait to get there, um, new experience, meeting new people and all of that. And I think when I got there, it was like um, a mixture of emotions. It was like, I was daunted. I was excited. I was, I was scared because it was a whole new journey and I just didn't know what to expect. And I also didn't want to have too many expectations um of the experience um but then eventually like I got used to how things were run and everything but I think when it comes to like um settling down it took a while for me to like really you know just settle and make friends because I think it's also just because of the personality that I have I'm very I would or I would describe myself as more of an ambivert but like it takes sometime before I actually warm up to people and I'm comfortable around them um so in that sense it took a little bit of time for me to like really settle down and then I think there's also just culture shock because like just being with people from different parts of the world was like a whole new experience really exciting but then it was also just like different and I was like oh wow like you know this is how you know people from this part of the world do things or this is how they see the world or this is how this is the lens through which they perceive the world and I think the biggest change or thing for me was that like a lot of who I am changed and shifted. And I, because I had so many different perspectives around me, I started to see the world differently. I started to question things. And I really, I feel like I was unlearning things that I had learned. And I was also just like really trying to learn. It was, it was like a process of learning and unlearning and yeah, it was just, I felt like there was so much change that was happening at the core 
in terms of like my belief systems um, and just generally my outlook on the world, it changed. Like I, yeah, it was just, it was really different in that sense. Like I, I never imagined that like I would be in the same class as someone from Albania and, you know, some of those countries I had never even heard of. So it was kind of like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, from there, cool, awesome. And then you hear like some of their traditions and what they do there. And it's just like, and I think having the specific classes that I had where I felt like they had really big impact, a really big impact on my outlook of the world. And one of those classes would be global politics because then you hear about like conflict in different parts of the world. And then, you know, you start understanding like class differences and differences in religion and how that, you know, impacts other people. And you start gaining this sense of like open-mindedness as well and accepting other people and just embracing their differences as well. So, yeah, I, I think it was beneficial and pretty exciting in that sense. Mm. I think it's a little, I think as a parent hearing that, it's a little scary, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, inside you, like your, your core beliefs were changing and there was a, a lot of unlearning. Um, I think, could you give an example of something um, that let's say you unlearned and then also speak to, do you think that um, you are with the unlearning and, you know, your beliefs changing and evolving, I would say, do you think that you are um, not as connected to your culture and your community, you know? Yeah, so actually those are very interesting questions. Um, I would probably say one of the things I unlearned was just generally how I viewed um, sexuality. And I think because I was raised in a Christian home and for me it was like, you know, there's God and God says this and so you do this because God says so. And in my head it was like, at the time before I left for UWC, it was like, okay, yeah, um, God says this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be an obedient child and I'm going to do this. And I think going there and then hearing people's stories and hearing, you know, people's journeys and how they were coming out about their sexuality. And then I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of that transformation for me happened in my global politics class. I I was interested in like gender equality and then I started to get more interested, you know, because I think the concept of homosexuality was, it wasn't that it was new or unfamiliar. I had heard it before, but it wasn't something I completely understood. It was just something I was like, oh yeah, don't do that. Don't do this. It's wrong. Like it's bad, like based on religious beliefs. And so going there and hearing other people's stories, it was like, wow, like my mind was opening like, oh, okay. So I think there's a little bit more nuance to it than people make it sound like it's just black and white. Like it's either you're straight or you're heterosexual or yeah, you know, homosexual. And like, I really having conversations with people who were um, in that part of, in, on, yeah, well, people who were on that part of the sexual sexuality spectrum opened my mind to like, seeing how it's not just black and white, like it, it can't just be, oh, it's either you are or you're not. Or it, and there's so much more like there's socialization involved and like biological factors involved. And just, I think, but for me, the biggest thing was just like the stories that people shared about themselves and like that journey to opening up and who they are. And so like, it was, for me, it was like eye opening and I'm like, okay, I know God says that, you know, it's wrong, but it seems like there's more to this than just don't do this or black and white or this is wrong and this is right. And I think that was like one of the things that um, I unlearned. But I think there's also many things and that was like the one that I could think off the top of my head. But there's definitely a lot of unlearning and I would probably say a lot of it was centered around like my religious views for the most part. Um and then I did feel disconnected because I remember the first summer back home, 
I felt like, at least I felt this immediately with my parents, particularly my dad, like, because my dad is, I think with my mom, she's more on the open-minded side. So like I could have these conversations with her and she could at least understand me. Whereas with my dad, it was a little bit more difficult. It was like, you know, we've raised you like this and it's supposed to be this way. And so this is how things should be done. And in, yeah, so that in that sense, I did feel a disconnect. And even culturally, because I know this in our culture, these things aren't, um, they're just not permitted. Like it's not okay for somebody to be homosexual. It's not, yeah, you just, you can't be gay. You can't be lesbian. That stuff just, it's, it's not right. It's not right culturally. Um, so yeah, but, and I think it was, it was very, I think I, I, I was conflicted for a while because even when the transformation was happening, it was like, okay, but where I come from, this is, this is how we do things. And it was really just trying to reconcile the fact that culturally that's like where I come from, this is unacceptable, but also like I'm hearing all these stories from people and these are the experiences. And I'm like, okay, so this, you know, I know where I come from. This isn't how it is, but like, I think I was just moved by, you know, people's stories and I could really, at least it, it changed my outlook by having conversations with those people. So, yeah. Okay. But how did you reconcile it? Like in your mind, are you going to hell because you, you know, you're okay with someone being gay? Because literally if someone is like, Oh my God, she supports them. She's going to hell. You know what I mean? down at this point it really just boils down to like again I've I've seen this I don't know if it's a quote or I've heard it from somebody but it just talks about like how the world is so much brighter because there's there's so much difference and diversity and we're different people and to me I feel like if we were all the same the world would be so dull and done and I know like based on the bible it says oh yeah homosexuality is bad and you know that's a scene but for me it's just I think I reconciled it in the sense that firstly I understood that it's 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 more complex than people make it sound people make it like people back home people make it sound like it's just a black and white thing and I think that's something that I took away with me um a lot is that there's so like life can sometimes be oversimplified and there's so much more nuance to it and people just don't realize that. And so I think taking that with me, in a sense, helped me reconcile reconcile my culture with, you know, these differing views I was being exposed to. But also just for me, I think I just came to the realization that I, I think people who are homosexual also, they're human and they're deserving of love and yeah, so I, I I don't think that if I'm accepting and loving, even if, you know, religious needs a sin, then I'm going to heal because I, I don't think God would be mad at me for loving people. So, yeah. So I think I was I was able to reconcile um the whole, you know, homosexuality and differing views from like my culture. Firstly, because like I, I think I just started to understand that these things are way more nuanced than we oversimplify them because people just at least back home it's like it's either you are or you're not and it's either it's right or it's wrong and sometimes things can be more complicated than that and I think coming to the realization that you know life can be oversimplified when some things are more complex than they seem help me in a way understand that like okay yeah maybe religiously for some people that's a scene but for others, that's their lived experience. That's their, that's a part of their identity and who they are. And I think for me, what's important is respecting people and embracing their differences. Even if you're not like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely in support of like homosexuality and I'm pro-homosexuality, but just like being able to respect people and embrace them based on their humanity was like a big part for me. And I was, I was actually saying, I think just realizing that even though we're different and even though um, in my culture, it's wrong. I, I I don't think that it would be wrong to, you know, love them just for being human and 
yeah, I think that was something that at least helped me try and reconcile. And I think I'm, I, I, I sometimes I still, I'm still conflicted because I think I'm going through a process of um, like a spiritual journey and just like really understanding spirituality. So I definitely still experience those conflicts within me. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like it was just like really understanding that things are more nuanced and that it's not as black and white as people make it sound. And really just that for me, even loving them, despite them being something that I was, I was told is a sin or is just not acceptable. was like really something that helped me, um, yeah, move forward from, from everything. Okay, so then you moved to the States and, you know, you are a black woman that has grown up in a society where um, you are the majority. And then you moved to um, the States where, you know, uh, racial tensions are particularly high in these <laughs> last two years that you've you've been there. And I think I'd love to hear from you what your experience is of um of the you know the whole thing. And I think I just I just want to mention that like I think for the first time I felt like even moving to UWC when I moved to the Netherlands, that was like the first time I felt like, okay, the color of my skin mattered. Cause like before it's like, we're all black. It, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. We all have the, like color wasn't even a big, wasn't something that I used to define myself or it wasn't something that I placed emphasis on my identity. It wasn't like, okay, I'm a black woman back home. You know, like it wasn't, it was mostly like, oh, my tribe or my gender type of thing. But then I think moving to UWC and moving because it was predominantly white. And so that was where for the first time I felt like, OK, I'm black. I'm a black woman. And I did. I, ha I had experiences there. Um, and sometimes even within the school, UWC isn't perfect. Um, there were people who would come and it was it wasn't like you know, of it or explicit racism. It was mostly microaggressions like, oh, um, you came from Africa. Did you come on a boat? Oh, is it possible for, for people from Africa to have a particular type of phone? And I'm just like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's very possible. But then I think all those feelings of blackness and being a black woman and just, you know, the experiences associated with being a black woman were amplified when I came here. And I think I felt that particularly when, you know, the whole George Floyd thing erupted. That was when, like, I really, you know, I felt it. And you could see that there was so much racial tension. Because even on campus, we've had, at least on my campus, we've had instances where people have blatantly said, oh, yeah, fuck. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm cussing. But, like, you know, if Black Lives Matter. And it's like, how am I supposed to feel safe when... You know, this apparently this compass claims that, you know, they're welcoming and and it's supposed to be a diverse place. And, you know, they, they just they're accepting of people from different backgrounds. Well, for me as a black woman, it doesn't feel accepting if you can tolerate people who can come on this compass and, you know, say such things. And proudly so like this person is like, yeah. And I think going through that process of they called it a reconciliation between you know the person and you know the black community on campus going through that process was very draining and i think every other day i would be on the phone with my mom and i'd be like i'm so drained mentally and you know it's not only that you can imagine we're in the middle of a pandemic there's so much racial tension going on and then there's also these incidences that are happening on campus which make it even more like they make the experience even more real because you're going through it. It's not, it's not something that feels far because it's right there and you're experiencing it, you know? And it just, it has this, it drains you mentally. Like it just felt so draining even more than that. Like I felt unsafe. I felt unwelcome. I felt less than sometimes. And, you know, I would have to tell myself, like, you shouldn't have to feel that way. You're not less than, 
no one should have to make you feel that way. And I think it also just made me want to start reading and learning because I feel like that's a part of our history that we're not really taught about. It's like, you know, how Africans were shipped off here as slaves and it's, yeah, it's just not something I really learned about. And I became more interested in learning about it. And I think at least I started to learn particularly about, you know, racism and in the U.S. and yeah, and how it's so pervasive. And at least I've tried to take classes on it and try and understand it. But it's very draining for the most part, very draining mentally. It takes a toll on your mental health. Um, yeah, you just start to feel very unsafe. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's horrible. So do you think, do you, okay, do you believe or think that you can relate to the experiences of an African-American um, person, especially as you are an African? Um, okay, I'll leave it at that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so that's, that's a very, again, that's a very interesting question because I think there's been so much debate even on my campus, not just like, you know, just generally within the Black community, which includes both Africans and African-Americans about like how in some sense our experiences living here are different, but also similar in some ways. And I think when it comes to racism, I think there's, there's definitely similarities in experiences because um, I think we still go through racism, even as Africans, and even more so because I think it's that, they, you know, most people have that idea of, oh, yeah, you're African, right? You're coming to the U.S. to study. Um, and then it's also like, you know, you're moving here and they're like, yeah, you know, when you're done, you leave type of thing. Like you, you, when, you when you're done with the education, you leave because, you know, you're taking up um, our you know, job opportunities are taking, they're just generally taking, they're taking up opportunities for us. But yeah, definitely even the racism is there. But then also I feel like in a way, and I'm not sure if it's just something I, I've experienced on my campus and maybe it's different in, on, you know, in other, on other campuses and just generally in the US. But I feel like there isn't, much solidarity among African-Americans and Africans because there's also a tension between those two groups of people because I've heard arguments like, oh yeah, African-Americans are coming at Africans like, oh, you sold us off, you know? You sold, you, you gave us up. We were here slaving away and you sold us and so we're in this mess because of you. You know, it's it's that kind of a situation. And then, you know, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, we're going through this together right now. We're going through this whole racism thing together. And I think it, it just helps if we're working together to fight it and we're not, you know, fighting each other. It's better if, yeah, we're working together against it, not working against each other and it's working against us. But yeah, I, I definitely think when it comes to racism and, and in some sense, ex but then at the same time, I think, again, there's so much nuance because you find this African-Americans and then there's like this colorism that comes in as well. It's like, oh yeah, you're on the lighter side. You're more towards the white side. So, you know, you get more privileges. There's a little bit of white privilege for you on the side. And then for those African-Americans who lean more towards the black side, it's like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you know, the police are down on your neck. There's institutional racism and, and all of that stuff. And in that sense, I think most African-Americans who lean more towards the African side, and that's not to invalidate those ones who, you know, are more towards the white side. They still go through racism. But I think in terms of like shared experiences, there's more similarities with like African-Americans on the darker side. So, yeah. Sis, are you like me? I literally live by my calendar. If it's not on there, it does not exist, nor does it happen. But quick question, are you on your calendar? 
I don't mean all the activities that you do for and with others. I mean, do you have a day that is all about you? Not babies, not bay, not work, or anything else that keeps you busy. I'm asking you to be your own bay. So one day a month, Africana women will host in-person events in Lusaka that give you permission to practice self-love. This is not just another networking event. You know, restaurants and cocktails. No, darling. Instead, we're partnering with local businesses to give you unique experiences like paint and sip, a ladies hike, or a body positive dance class. Like, you do not want to miss this. So come on then, join us, sign up today, be your own bay. Find the link in the show notes or go to africanawoman.com. Now back to the conversation. So I guess is, uh, you know, some of the things that you've described are very, um, the very new experiences that you are going through, but, you know, your family isn't going through. And, um, you know, your friends back home, they're not going through. So how do you, um, how do you reconcile uh, the types of conversations that you have with them? Are you, and then, for example, you know, I know you said that, um, you know, when you're going through the reconciliation process, um, you know, you're on the phone with your mom. I also want to hear a bit more about, where do you go to for support, especially, you know, when your mental health is um, being pressured? Yeah, so definitely. I feel like when I'm talking to my friends or just family back home, like you do feel like there's that sense of like, oh, I sympathize with you or I empathize with what you're going through. But then you you still understand that okay, they don't fully understand how bad and how mentally, you know, how it's just so, it's exhausting mentally. They, they, they because it's, it's so far from them. Like it's, there's that disconnect and you can feel it. But I think when it comes, at least mostly with my friends, I feel it like they're like, oh yeah, you know, we stand with you and you see all this wokeness on social media platforms where your friends are like, yeah, we're sharing all this stuff, like stop racism and there's all that stuff. And so in that sense, you do get like a sense of support from people back home. But then again, you 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 understand, you're like, well, in a sense, I get that you're helping me and I'm really glad and grateful that you are, but you know, you're not they don't fully understand. It's just like, yeah, we're there, we're being woke type of thing. It's not really that we're there and we fully understand. And, and I think that's, it's understandable and, and it's expected in some ways because, you know, I guess sometimes it's hard for you to really understand things if you're not directly being affected by them. Um, but I think my parents have been more of like a, a support system in a way because I think for them they understand at least how much it's taken a toll on me mentally but even them you can see that like they're like oh you know I'm sorry but I don't fully relate type of thing um but they've definitely tried to be supportive and be there and yeah for the most part but then I think when it comes to like um mental health services on campus, I think that's a big issue. Um, and even just generally mental health services for black communities in the US, that's another big issue. Um, in the sense that you go to these white people, these are white people who go through white privilege. They have no sense of, like your experiences are completely different. Like they're so different. It's like, I go to this white counselor and I'm telling her this and this. And they always have, like, it's like people white, okay, particular, specific, some white people just don't realize that they have white privilege. And so I guess sometimes even when you're seeking out mental health, like help for your mental health, it's hard because there's that disconnect. Like they don't fully understand how, you know, it takes a toll on you. And I think that's something that at least my campus needs to really improve on. It's 
is having more diversity when it comes to like these services as well. Like we need more black counselors, black psychologists who actually understand, you know, how it affects us. Because for white people, there's definitely a disconnect. It's They don't fully, under, like they can try, but they don't fully understand what it is that we're going through. And I think for me, during the whole reconciliation process, I think one of the main, at least groups of people, people who were like a, a big support for me were the clubs that I was a part of, because those are mostly like black you know, they're, they're, they're centered around like black students. And so, yeah, being a part of Afro club was like really good support system. Cause there you could like air your grievances. You could really express yourself. And there are people there who were understanding and they were willing to give you the support. And then I think even the international students organization, although that one is more diverse than Afro, it was also, you know, a good support. Like it was a good source of support as well. Cause you know, we had discussions around race and even just the incidences that occurred on campus. So, yeah, I think those were mainly my sources of support, those clubs and my parents. So looking forward, where do you see yourself going or being? Do you think that you would um, stay abroad or do you think that, um, you know, you'd want to come back to Zambia? And if you wanted to come back to Zambia, do you think that um, you would, you would um, assimilate back into the system, into the culture well? Um, oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, I mean, initially when I left, I I really wanted to come back home. Um, but now I think it's a little bit, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm at that place where I'm still trying to figure out whether I do want to come back home or I do want to stay abroad. But if there's one thing I know for sure, it's I do not want to stay in the U.S. That's that's not happening. Um, maybe I, if it's abroad, I would see myself living in you know Europe or maybe going back to the Netherlands or something like that. But I think the the U.S. would be uh, a little bit much for my mental health. And of course, like I understand, racism is something that's not just in the U.S. It's in different parts of the world, but this it's just it's been a bit much for me here at least based on my experience and um yeah I think there's definitely a possibility that I will come back home um although for me I think one of the biggest things is just like um job opportunities um back home considering the kind of stuff that I'm doing that I think that's my biggest worry it's just like will I actually find a job that you know um well, it doesn't necessarily have to be in alignment with what I've studied, but, you know, just something that I feel passionate about and something that I really enjoy doing. Um, but, yeah, I think I would. I would definitely come back home. And then in terms of, like, assimilating, oof, I think that one is what scares me the most, um, aside from, like, the job opportunities, because I feel like now there's so much that has changed about who I am and, you know, um, just generally how I relate to people from back home. And even just like with my friends, there's that, like, there's that difference. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how the assimilation process would be like, but I definitely know that it would be a bit of a challenge and there'd be, um, butting of heads because yeah I just see things differently now and yeah you said butting of heads <laughs> okay this is my last question um and then we'll start wrapping up but I wanted to I guess find out from you that um, what are your thoughts on um brain drain um, for those of you, I guess, that are not familiar with the term brain drain is uh, where 
highly educated people um, leave a country and um, yeah, so basically, you know, you've got this high, highly educated part of your population that doesn't live in your country, isn't um, contributing to the economy and um, they're working in other countries. What are your thoughts on that? I think that has very um, negative effect for you know the your country of origin like you know in my case moving away from Zambia or like a large part of the population who are highly educated moving away from because I think those those are the people who make the difference um and that's not to say that other people who aren't educated can't make a difference because I, I think people make differences in even little ways but I think those are the people who are needed to like shift systems to you know, make radical change um, just because they've been exposed a little bit more. Um, but then, I don't know, I also feel at the same time, because I've once had this conversation with someone about like moving away from home. And it's really just, again, I think for me, there's also that conflict of where can I help my country best? Like, is it within, is there, are there no ways for me to, help my country outside of my country? It, does it specifically need to be within the country that, you know, I'm, I, I'm contributing to the economy or just generally the welfare of my country? And I think for me, it's also thinking like, oh, um, what if I end up getting a, a job working for maybe a big multinational corporation or something? And I, I you know, I, at least I can influence what happens or how they operate in my country, or it could be working for an INGO and, you know, I'm influencing governments and diplomacy on how they're handling like, you know, situations. And I think even now, neocolonialism and stuff, um, there could be ways that I'm working with INGOs and, you know, I'm affecting or influencing the decisions they're making that could potentially affect my country. So it's really just like, I think understanding is there really no way to help my country, you know, outside of my country? Is it just like a mass that I need to be in my country to make that difference? And also, I think another thing for me is that like when it comes to this whole debate is that with the systems back home, if people are unwilling to see things differently and change systems a little bit and try and, you know, try different systems out, will we really be able to make that change? And, you know, if people... Because I've, I've heard this thing with like bureaucracy and how people just want things done the way they've known them to be done before. And it's so hard. It's like, how are we going to make that change if, you know, people don't even want to try and see things from a different view? And people who've been in the system for the longest time don't want to give opportunity to other people who have bright ideas, creative ideas, new ideas and innovative ideas. They just, you know, it's the same people there in the system. And so it's like, oh, maybe from outside, I might have the, but yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I just, I think it's a little bit more complex. I, I, I can't just say, oh, it's bad, but then it definitely, like I would say definitely has, it can have bad um, effects economically, I, I, I think. Right. Thank you for that. I feel that this conversation has been very rich in the sense that, you know, um, not everything is black and white. There are, you know, nuances to all the different things that we experience, you know, whether it's should I study, should I do my university in my home country or should I go to a foreign Western or Asian country? Um, you know, what are the pros and the cons? What, you know, where do I actually want to see myself in the next 10 years in terms of where, you know, am I going to be living back home? What does that actually mean to be living back home when I have this new, um, you know, belief system that doesn't necessarily align with the people back home? How does that work? You know, there are all these different People don't necessarily go into. It's just like, oh, I want my child to study abroad. 
<laughs> but we're not actually even thinking about okay when I send them to the states what's that actually like what is the social um, impact on their lives and you know some of these things when it comes especially when it comes to you know your mental health can be long lasting and not just the four years that you end up sp- spending in university so is it worth it I don't know so you know there's just lots of different um, things that I think people need to be taking into consideration. And, I, and I'm very grateful that you were able to share your experience um, uh, very candidly and you know, openly. And um, funny enough, I've basically been through <laughs> what you have been through <laughs> in terms of I've, you know, I've had the Zambian education and then, I've, um, and then I went to study in the UK for the two years I'm um, doing the IB then I went to the states and I did my four years education there and I was just like yo the states neighbor neighbor again <laughs> I can't live there please I beg <laughs> and I'm just like I'm like people who are like oh yeah like the seniors graduating now they're like oh yeah I'm applying for my CPT I don't know if it's OPT and I'm OPT, like yeah you're really doing that <laughs> or the <laughs> I I don't think it's worth it for my mental health. I Mm. rather be fighting racism in other ways, not at least not particularly here in this environment. Um, But yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. I did end up coming back to Zambia for those of you who are curious and are listening. Um, And that in itself is its own. own conversation and might that, be a topic that, for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting to hear how you made that transition from the US back into Zambian society. Uh, yeah. 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 So Wangu, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, in the Africana woman community, we've got a saying, which is know your roots, grow your purpose. And I have four questions for us to just close up this, um, beautiful discussion. Okay. So what are you rooted to? I would say I'm rooted to my family. Um, I'm rooted to the people around me who, um, I think make, influence my life and that that's like my friends my teachers or my professors and just sometimes even strangers who I don't really know make you know an impact in that and I guess that's what I'm rooted in a community in a sense I like that I like that okay so what is your favorite way to nurture your mind body and soul I for my mind I love to read um, and it's just, it's not like I have a specific genre that I like. It's, but usually it's mostly books about like social issues like race or gender or identity or things like that. Um, for my soul, I try meditation. Um, it's not something I have been doing consistently, but yeah, it definitely helps me like calm myself and connect myself and put my thoughts together. Um, yeah, and just spending quality time, I think, with family and friends does it for me um do you have a weakness that has now become your superpower Mm. yeah so well I wouldn't necessarily call it a weakness but for the longest time I thought it was um not speaking out as much but then I started learning to understand that I'm more of a reflective person and it helps me you know really reflect and process things and I think just listen to other people and not speak as much and I think that's beautiful in a sense it gives others and okay for me it makes me you know it makes me it helps me process things but for others I think it's giving them that space to be who they are and just open and express themselves so yeah and the last question what do you know for sure Um, that I'm loved. <laughs> I don't know why, but that was the, that was the first thing that literally popped into my head. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, why are you being 
being shy about it. Who are you loved by, Kanchi? We are curious. <laughs> my mom. I thought I'm loved by my mom and my dad, for sure. No, but honestly, for sure, for sure, I know that I'm loved by my parents. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, Wangu, if someone wants to connect with you and, you know, um, have a conversation or, you know, just learn more about what you're doing, how do they get hold of you? Um, where can they find you? They can find me on Facebook. Um, my name is Jemima Mbula and on Instagram, um, I go by Choco Kids Lover. Well, Choco underscore kids underscore lover. Um, yeah, those are mainly the social media platforms you could reach me. All righty, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. I'm just like, I feel like I've sort of like been transported back in time and being like, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> but, yeah. but no, like I'm genuinely interested in hearing how you made that transition back to mm-hmm. Zambia because that's definitely something that like Especially now, Chulu, you know, like going into my junior year, I've been like even having conversations with my friends like from back home. Like, oh, I don't know if I want to stay here or, you know, go back home. But then also, like you said, it's also like, you know, that thing where you're like, okay, but I still want to go back and make a difference. And then it's like, is it only that I can make a difference back home or, Mm. you know, it's possible for me to still make a difference you know, even outside. And really, am I just trying to make a difference back home while making a difference on a larger scale? It's like, I don't know. It's just so many things going on and not many answers. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, do you know what? I feel like it's great that you are actually having the conversations because in my time, I don't know if it's maybe just my friends, Gaia, but, you know, I wasn't having those conversations. So I think, first of all, that you're having the conversations is um, a wonderful first step. But I actually think what would be really cool is to do some sort of panel conversation around this um, instead of just hearing like one view, like my view. But if I can find some multiple people and just be like, guys, let's talk about it. So I think that would be a richer uh, conversation. That's true. Yeah, I know. Like, that's definitely something that's been, it's been on my mind. been there, especially now because they're becoming real. Because, you know, freshman, sophomore year, you're like, yeah, you know, you're just, yeah, yeah, you're getting into that college life. You're still trying to make friends, getting used to things, enjoying the place, exploring. And then it just hits you. You're like, oh, <laughs> we're almost at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, you have to start making big life decisions. Uh, yeah. 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 All right, my darling. Thank you so, so much. And you're welcome. Let me tell you, as Wanga was speaking, it was like I was taken back in time. I was hoping that such problems like the division between African and African-Americans would have improved by now that 13 years later, they're still having the same conversations on campuses is insane to me. Anyway, when I look at education, I think we do not necessarily think through all the choices we make around it. Neither do we ask the right questions of schools that we are sending our children to. We're just so ready and excited to send our children abroad or to an international school. So you do not think about the social, mental, and emotional impact on your child that have lasting effects that go far beyond the four years they will spend there. Please never say it's just four years they will survive. I think you need to educate yourself on how best to support your children in whatever educational path you have chosen. Establishing open communication between you and your child would be a good start. Help them to set up a support system for times of crisis. Get involved with lobbying the educational institutions to put in place measures that protect your child. So if the university needs to hire therapists of color, let them know. In fact, demand it. I just don't think that we can be passive anymore. 
Please find Wangu on social media at Jemima Mvula and just say hi, thank you. Let her know that you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and show her some Africana love. Thank you so much for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. I also would love your help if we can spread the word about the Africana Woman podcast. All you have to do is take a screenshot of this episode and post it to your social media stories. Don't forget to tag at Africana Woman or at Chulu by Design and we love to see your feedback. Now, you know my playground is Instagram. If you want to chat with me personally, do drop me a line. Until next week. I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Volendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.olendocreative.com. <laughs>